This is WMPG. My name is Dr. Anne, and this is Safe Space, a live forum for the courageous telling of difficult stories. My guest tonight is David Treadway. We're going to be talking about how his family coped with his very severe lymphoma. David Treadway is a marriage and family therapist in Massachusetts. He's the author of four books, all of which are about uncomfortable, difficult subjects like substance abuse and suicide. But his most current book is called Home Before Dark, A Family Portrait of Cancer and Healing, and he co-wrote it with his wife, Kate, and his two sons. Welcome to Safe Space, David. It's great to be here, Dr. Ann. So let's start by hearing, um, you know, just a little bit about what happened. How did you find out you had lymphoma and kind of what happened to you? Well, actually, it's it's a it's a pretty uh, simple story. I woke up in the middle of the night uh, with a pain in my arm, and uh, the next thing I knew, I was in severe pain. And over a period of several weeks, they the the best and the brightest of the Boston medical community could not figure out what was going on. I had multiple tests. They thought it was all kinds of things. And then um, uh, we got a report that it looked like it was uh, bad cancer in my arm with the likelihood that it was came from other sources, in which case it was probably going to be terminal. And so when we discovered it was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, even though it was extremely severe, I had it from my nose to my toes, I had it in my face, I had it in every part of my body, um, that at least was treatable. Um, and so, although I was extremely sick, I was very fortunate to be have a chance at uh, recovery. And um, although it was only a 25% chance of, of, of recovery, I was really expected not to make it. And here I am tonight talking to you. And how many years ago was that, David? That was in 2005, uh, five years from uh, next month. I see. So in in next month, you'll have made the five-year window. The five-year window, which is well-known in cancer circles as a very important demarcation of, uh, of for hope and possibility of full recovery. Do you feel like there is a part of you holding your breath till you get there? I'm actually, it's been a long journey to believe that I could actually get well when I when when I and my physician wife who knew everything there was to know about my disease uh, knew that the odds were so stacked against me but I've been more living in the feeling of recover being recovered from cancer in the last uh, actually just the last six months than I had been for a long time holding my breath was what we all did holding our breaths is what we all did as a family for a long time yes so you one of the things I was very moved by in your book was your description about how each of you coped with it in a different way. And in particular, for you, kind of looking at how you were responding to this threat, um, you know, based on these very old coping mechanisms from your childhood. Mm. And I wondered if you could say something about how, how you saw that in yourself. I, 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 uh, uh, grew up in a family with a lot of mental illness and uh, pretty severe dysfunction. Um, and one of the ways I coped as a child was essentially to withdraw inside and not uh, evidence much feeling or caring about the circumstances. And when I got the cancer, I was 
number one, severely ill, number two, on pain meds, and number three, I kind of retreated behind the same childhood wall. So I was actually, looking back on it, fairly remarkably um, accepting of the likelihood that I would die and accepting of of the circumstances um, and not experiencing much fear or, 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 or frankly, connection to the experience. Uh, I kind of disconnected, which is what I did when I was a kid. <laughs> I've actually worked hard in my adult life to uh, overcome that tendency, but when the cancer hit, that's where I went. The other thing that's important, though, and to, to note is lots of people who are facing the end of their life do in fact move to a place of acceptance and even a degree of equanimity that many of us can't imagine doing but once you're you've crossed over that line and you think that this is the end of it you know something changes how you respond and so are you are you you know so when i hear you i'm confused a little cuz it sounds like um, you were describing an experience almost of dissociation or disconnection, and yet the the acceptance you're describing, I have always thought of. I you know I haven't been there, as as a, one of being more connected. Do you did you experience it as the same? I actually experienced those are two sides of the same coin. Uh-huh. Uh, to me, on the one hand, there was an element of a real disconnect and disassociation, a kind of I don't care. And the other was a much more benign and, frankly, emotionally full feeling of of acceptance and essentially bowing my head to to the nature of life itself. We're all mortal, and it looked like my time had arrived. I, I, so it was both. It was both, uh, you know, on the surface, I looked remarkably peaceful and serene and, you know, grown up and uh, right. et cetera. Underneath the surface, I was checked out. Yes, I see. Got it. There were two layers. To yeah, it. there's two, absolutely two layers. You know, and there's such a culture in the cancer world of, you know, fighting the disease. And and your wife, you know, is, is a doctor. Was it hard at all for her? I mean, did she equate the kind of equanimity you showed on the surface with, a, with almost a kind of giving up is, or a surrender? Yes, it, it, I think I think the way I approached it was difficult for her because it felt quite passive, and she is a dynamo, a very proactive, uh, great physician and great wife, great mother, and she was not about to let me slip away without without a major fight. So our styles were right from the beginning different, and and to give her credit, she was incredibly good at accepting my style. And and we we both had to make room for our fairly significant differences as we approached this. But I was so blessed to have uh, a really gifted physician. Uh, you know, I sometimes joke about it. It's nice to sleep with a physician. <laughs> it, yeah, I had this gifted physician as my advocate, and she read everything there was to know. She talked to all the best doctors in Boston. She mobilized the team. So... In some respects, I was an incredibly blessed guy by her her uh, will to fight. 
I mean, maybe that gave that freed you in a way so that you didn't have to be in total fighting stance. That's true. That's smart because in 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 fact, if I had been like most cancer patients, having to learn about my disease on the internet, having to s- seek out multiple opinions to get to make sure I had the right doctors, I would have been mobilized if I had been on my own. Um, and and but that's a terrifying place for lots of folks with cancer is to is to essentially not necessarily know if they can trust their medical team and and that they're getting the best help possible yes well so i want to talk to you more about fear one of the things that you and kate in the book talk about is how you spare each other your own fear or you know how you work with your individual fear and not wanting to kind of contage the other one with it. And I wondered if you could say how, what you, what you learned about that. Well, well, one of the things that I, that I specialize in as a psychologist is, is couples therapy. And so I spent quite a bit of time helping couples learn how to hear and deal with difficult things that each of them are experiencing so all of a sudden I had to really practice, and Kate and I, my wife and I, had to practice what I preach. And the key for us was a simple line. It goes like this, two of us paying attention to one of us at a time. So that we would literally take turns as to whose emotions would be heard and held and, and really responded to. And so on one morning it might be Dr. Kate's turn, and I'd be there as best I could trying to hear her fears about uh, going on in her life when I wasn't there, how she was going to help our sons deal with uh, the death of a father since she had lost a father early in her youth, how she would how she would try and help her kids go on. And I would try to show up not paying attention to how dreadful that felt to me, but actually to really pay attention to what that felt like to her. And to and to be, despite being the cancer patient, to actually be the emotional support to her when it was her turn. And when it was my turn, she'd have to uh, try not to talk me out of my feelings, but really embrace and accept me for where I was, which was oftentimes in a place that was hard for her to hear. So the taking turns, two of us paying attention to one of us at a time, was key. And it sounds like you did it on separate times. It wasn't like half the time yeah, was yours, no, half the time act, was hers. That's really good, Anne. It's separate times is really important. Switching back and forth like we normally do in regular communication is doesn't create enough emotional space for each person. And so one time it would be Kate's turn, and then we might wait as much as a day before it got to be my turn. And that was that was a key element. And so you had to work inside yourself to contain what what she was saying was bringing up in you. Yes, and actually, most couples uh, struggle with that because yes. most, <laughs> you know, that, that this is this is what I do for a living, and and it's really a gift to be able to learn how to contain your feelings while hearing your partners and contain your responses until it's the right time. Yeah, that seems like involving a lot of discipline. Yeah. So, so when you did that with each other, what were some of the hardest things for you to hear about what this was like for her? I, I, I think it was it was very hard for me to deal with the fact that um, she couldn't see a way that she could make a life for herself if I died. She really was frightened and overwhelmed because. 
of her early childhood experience with dealing with the, uh, the death of a parent and how her mom coped, which was strong and stoical, but nevertheless very, very grief-stricken for the rest of her life. So Kate had, Kate had some very profound fears about life after David died that were hard to hard to to deal with because I knew that there was a reasonably chance good chance that that my death would would might break her in some way and and even almost despite yourself was there a way in which you found yourself feeling responsible for that I I I I didn't so much feel responsible as I just felt heartbreakingly sad yeah the, I mean, you know, the idea of my own death was, oddly enough, less upsetting to me than what might the impact of my death be on Kate, you know, who I've been married to for 42 years, and we met as kids, uh, you know, and my sons. I was much more emotionally engaged uh, by what might happen to them. I mean, that's part of the reason why we wrote this book, was to actually, for for to face the possibility of my demise together and to communicate at the deepest possible level as a family together before they were grieving as a threesome with me gone. Right, to, to do that while you were able to be part of it. Yes. Yeah, this is Dr. Anne. This is Safe Space. and I'm talking to David Treadway about his recent book, Home Before Dark, and about the four of the, uh, four members of his family and how they coped together and talked about it. So I want to shift now to parenting. Um, so much of the book is, is half the book is, is the voice of your two sons, Michael and Sam, talking about how they felt about it and how they felt about you. And um, before we even talk about parenting, I want to ask you about your own, um, maybe even your own anxiety about inviting them to be so honest about their experience was that um that feels like a risk to me you know imagining myself in your position inviting my you know my child to say really what they felt did you have trepidation um our our family i i I grew up in a family in which people never talked directly to each other about anything and so one of the things that i really cared deeply about was that that the, my kids grow up in a culture where people are pretty open and direct and say what's on their mind and so it it it, it wasn't new news for 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 me, me to hear blunt stuff from my children and and cuz they're they're pretty straightforward and open and honest folks and to me that is a wonderful thing the thing I that that's scary is um, it's one thing for us to be open and direct with each other. It's another thing to to share this with with the general audience uh, and have people look at how our family can sometimes, you know, how we we're all, we're all just regular people, and sometimes that means we're difficult or we we don't get along or we frustrate each other. And there's some very open, direct family difficulties that are talked about throughout this book. And I worry to a degree about um, the level of exposure that my sons have dared um, because, you know, they're, they're young men in their 20s, uh, you know, um, having having put themselves out there in a, in a very courageous, brave way. And, and you know, people will, will 
either respond positively or not. It's it's a very risky thing for them to have done. In 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 your so when you played it out when you weighed whether this was a project worth doing, what was the worst thing you imagined that might happen to them? Just that that, that some people might look at our story, particularly because we're so lucky. Uh, you know, we 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 have led a pretty good life up to this point, and you know, I the miracle happened for for us, and I survived. And so many other families suffer so much and have such a much more explicitly painful and sadder outcome. Some people might look at our book and say, gee, these guys, uh, you know, they had this big happy ending and they're making this big deal about their journey with their cancer, but they're, they're, they don't have a clue. I mean, I, when I make up people having difficult responses to our book, I, I can imagine that and worry about how my kids might feel if they got criticized if their friends looked at it and said gee i would never do that that was really dumb <laughs> I, I would i would feel badly for my for my guys uh, actually and and for my wife too my wife's in a very uh she's a professor at harvard medical school and she's a senior member at mgh and you know there's some of her colleagues might think it's not quite appropriate to have such an intimate telling of a family story right out in the open so I you know, worry it's, about that too. it's so interesting, David, because for me as a reader, um, it, I didn't have so much the feeling of, oh, why are they making such a big deal when everything turned out fine? If anything, the, I, I was aware in myself of a feeling of, of jealousy about like being excluded from this really cool club of four. Mm. <laughs> of mm. this, you know, because it feels like you're invited as the reader to observe intimately a connection that you can't be part of, but that feels very appealing in its intimacy. So I find myself wondering if you get negative reactions, I wonder if it might even be fueled by that feeling of exclusion or, you know, the longing that it evokes to be part of such an intimate community and family. Well, we, we do, we do feel like, even though we're, just like any other family in lots lots of ways the one thing that we do do we are is really quite close with with each other you know each of us have our own struggles in our own lives but as a group we come together in a way that i feel incredibly grateful for yeah that comes across one of the things that i really appreciated was the way in which you were so open about some of the struggles you had and particularly the conflict between you and your son Sam and I wondered if you might say a little bit about that sort of the issues about talking about your feelings and the the push pull of that between you yeah i mean i mean sam sam is is quite a character and you know at the time he, as a as a college kid he was he was still in his late adolescence and um, my my therapist style push for open communication and talking about feelings and, you know, group shares and check-ins had, really had never appealed to Sam throughout our, <laughs> throughout his growing up. And so right. it was always, oh, dad. yeah, there goes dad again, this you know, dumb. dad's got his therapist look on his face. <laughs> yeah. So he knows the look even. Yeah, sure. <laughs> the posture. Right. Yes. So and the, and the whole the whole business of doing family check-ins to see how everybody felt about their lives, we 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 we've been doing that for years. And Sam would always have a considerable amount of um, impatience with it. 
But humor. I mean, I get teased a lot because I'm usually the guy pushing it, and Sam's very funny uh, about, you know, there goes Dad again. Boy, he really wants to have a check-in here. He really wants to know what's going on. So, so, so there's by-play. Underneath the by-play is, in reality, despite having a pretty mellow-looking personality, I was a quite anxious parent. And my anxiety about making sure my kids were okay actually created pressures and tensions and um, and and made some difficulty for my children uh, and and uh, that's something that we've actually had to deal with throughout uh, my kids growing up and uh, into their adulthood and and this this business of dealing with the book and and looking uh, looking uh, in stark black and white writing, how both Sam and I experienced our interactions and some of the ways in which my my efforts to connect created pressure for him and a feeling that somehow or other, just as he was, he wasn't quite good enough because I was always trying to make it better or thiser or thatter. So it was it, it was a it, the the book itself and the writing of it actually taught us about our relationship. And I would say, you know, and I hope if Sam were sitting here, he'd say it too. I think our relationship's actually gotten quite a bit better. We don't we don't talk that much about deep feelings. <laughs> we we play tennis and have a good time. I mean, there's this beautiful scene in the book where you're ta- there's a, a drive that you're on together, and he you're asking him questions, and you want him to tell you his biography and he writes in this just incredibly affectionate way about you where he's just so amused by how different you are and how you he, how when he looks across at you he just sees how happy you are to ask to be asking these questions <laughs> and it's lovely because he on one level he can't fathom it it's so different but on the other hand he's such enormous love for you and and the difference and the love come across simultaneously it's it's mm. very moving well, that's that's huge because that's one of the things that I felt. Saying, I mean, you know, I've I've been a professional writer, but my 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 sons haven't been, and Sam just wrote from his heart, and you know, he pretty much didn't want to do this book project to begin with, as you can imagine from reading <laughs> reading his stance. He makes that clear. <laughs> yeah, and he did it for me. He did it as a gift for me, and he did it. He just wrote from his heart. So, so um, it seems so to me that he moving. he says that he does it for you, but he also does it. It seemed because he didn't want to be left out. He didn't want to miss this chance. There's something he said at the very end. You you say to him, you know, what would it feel like to you if you weren't part of this and the three of us did it? And and then his response is immediate, like I want to be part of the team. That's true, and and. Um, that that scene gives you a little bit of a sense of some of the pressures because uh, here I am, the dad who's got the disease, saying, "How do you feel about being left out?" There, there, there's there, that's a pressure. Yes. And on some level, he he gave into that pressure and we had a great outcome. But that's actually a good example of the kind of thing that I could sometimes do that I was insensitive to. And that, that that Sam is sensitive to, so it's a good example. <laughs> our, our children are our best teachers, right? Yeah, yeah. What, what, whoever we think we are, and however we try to be, our kids see the truth. Yes. So we we don't have a lot more time, but I wanted to end with this 
theme about self-disclosure mm-hmm. and your decision to really kind of bear your own, you know, all the complexities of what it is to be a parent, which is never a perfect job. And you write in the book, I really love this part, you say the best of what we have to offer as therapists to our clients is to share our own flawed humanity without shame. Mm. Most of us are wounded healers with a deep sense of connection to the suffering of others. To me, that that spoke to what was at the heart of the whole book. And um, I was curious about how you got to a place of not having shame about it. You know, shared our flawed humanity without shame. Um, was there a struggle with shame for you in doing this? I, I, I discovered some years ago in my earlier writings that um, that my fellow therapist really, really needed to hear that it was okay for us to be flawed human beings doing the best we can and not think that just because we're therapists we should you know, hold ourselves to some kind of perfectionist standard. And so over the years, I've gotten a lot of encouragement around uh, a certain level of candor and openness in how I communicate uh, about my life as a clinician and as a father and a husband. And so I, what I, in, in writing the book was essentially for us. Publishing the book is because, you know, Almost all families who are lucky enough to survive cancer have a strong desire to do something, to give something to others. And and you know, we didn't create a road race. We didn't we didn't create a memorial fund. What we did was we wanted to offer this book of one family struggle, just to help maybe other families talk about their experiences, acknowledge that they're not perfect see that they that that they can have different perspectives and points of view in the middle of of getting through this and there isn't a right wrong good bad way of you know managing all this people just have to get through it in in the classic one day at a time sense and i just wanted to by opening our family door to folks hopefully help other folks who struggle oftentimes in silence and aloneness and in shame to feel less alone. That's what I cared about. That's what we cared about as a family. David, part of why I'm so glad to have you on the show is that that is my entire uh, wish for this show also. Mm. It's such an honor to have you as my guest. We are going to have to stop, but if someone wants to get your book, when will it be coming out? Well, it's, it's out. You can order it at uh, the Barnes, Barnes & Noble has it, Amazon.com has it. Uh, it's 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 not it, not in all the stores, but it's it's arriving. You can order it on the internet, and if you want to learn more about it, you can you can look at our website, which which is quite a project to put together, but uh, a lot of fun too. It's called homebeforedarkbook.com. Say that again. Homebeforedarkbook.com. Wonderful. And you have a blog there and ongoing writing from all four of you. Is that yeah, right? ongoing writing, and, and you, you know, you'll learn more about us and our family. <laughs> you may get all you need, and you won't need to buy the book. Who knows? David, thank you so much for being my guest. It's a privilege. I am so proud to be part of a program like yours because your program is exactly the same purpose as our doing the book. 
Thank you again. This is Dr. Anne. This has been Safe Space. I've been talking to Dr. David Treadway about his family's struggle with his severe cancer. Next week, I'll be talking to Ellie Mercer about hospice care. If you have a suggestion or a request for the show, please email me at drannwmpg at gmail.com. That's drannewmpg at gmail.com. Next up is Money Talks with Allison.